46th number of Psalms, and then we'll also uh, touch on, uh, go back to Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Glory to God. What an awesome, beautiful day God has made. Amen. Glory, an awesome, beautiful day that the Lord has made, and we come to rejoice and be glad. In Psalms, the 46th number, the 46th number of Psalms. Thank you. And we're going to uh, read, um, starting, let's, let's start at verse number one, uh, Psalms 46, verse number one, and uh, we'll read a few verses and we'll skip down. It says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Verse 2 says, so we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Verse 10, a key verse, be still. Everybody say, be still and know that I am God. We're going to stop right there, amen. Be still and know. It's our series that we've been uh, started on last week, and we're going to pick a little bit more on that. Be still and know. We also read from 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, where it's a familiar passage of scripture where we see Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah surrounded by the enemy. And as they are surrounded by the enemy, we see God gives them a prophetic word about his faithfulness and his protection. Amen? About his faithfulness and his protection. So when we look at this 46th number of Psalms, uh, I want to point out something that, that, that as I was studying it, it's believed that uh, some Bible scholars believe that this particular 46 number of Psalm was written by one of Jehoshaphat's music ministers as he reflected and gave God glory for the victory he gave his people over in 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Uh, and as I shared with you on last week, and I'll, I'll share with you again, uh, something we need to understand about when we read in the Psalms, uh, the Psalm, a Psalm is usually structured so that its theme is in the first verse of that Psalm. Uh, that's the case of the 23rd Psalm, which most of us are probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm, correct? Uh, the first line says, what well, the Lord is my shepherd. Those five words sort of capsulize what that 23rd Psalm is all about. So usually if a Psalm is written, which is a, a psalm is a song, and it's, it's, it's written, uh, that first line usually gives you the, the theme of that. But now in this particular psalm that we captured our text from, um, it's, it, it goes in line with some other psalms where instead of at the beginning of the psalm, the theme is toward the end, and that's the case here in this 46 number psalm in that 10th verse where the key uh, thought is be still and know that I am God. Everybody say, be still, be still. And, know and know that I am God. 
the foundational truth, the basic message upon which this psalm is based is, is, is down this 10th verse where it says, be still and know that I'm God. Where we, we read here in that 10th verse and a little bit farther, is we read God's instructions for us when times are tough. How many of y'all have had some tough times in your life? I like what the old folks say, just keep on living. Y'all have heard some old folks when they, when they were complaining about some arthritis or some other stuff going on. You said, oh, mama, you, ain't, you said, just keep living. How many of y'all know there's some element of truth in that? Because I found out that I'm getting ready to turn 55 in May. And Bobby, as I've kept living, some stuff hurt that I ain't no aim had. Can I get a witness up in here? So, 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 so we, got, we, got, we got to realize that, 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 that it's, it's, okay, be still and know that I'm God. He says, I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Amen. And so we see here. This, this, this 46 number of Psalms, which again, we, uh, many biblical scholars will believe that it was uh, Jehoshaphat's music minister that wrote this in appreciation for what God did in 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. But it hones in on the things that we are to do when a storm of crisis suddenly rises up in our lives. Storms have a way of coming up suddenly. How many of y'all were... Uh, well, on Friday night, there was some some wind and some storm that were kind of raging. And normally, I, I'm I'm a real hard sleeper. It's it's rare that anything can wake me up when I go to sleep, except my wife elbowing me and telling me to stop snoring. That's and uh, then she still can't hardly get me up. But 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 for some unknown reason, on Friday night, I just I heard the wind uh, being very boisterous. I, I I thought about when we talked about when. The disciples were in the ship going across to the other side. When the wind was beating against that ship, it was beating against the house. Trees were flapping, and, and some, some, some damage was occurred in this area. And as it moved further east, there were some tornadoes that broke out. But that storm rose up. As a matter of fact, uh, it, it sort of tricked us a little bit because they initially said it was going to come around 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. And everything kind of moved out of the way, and so you kind of thought it was safe. And all of a sudden, it rose up. And begin to beat, amen. And so that when that storm like that comes in the in the weather, we understand that. But there are some times in our own individual lives when storms will rise up, situations will come in, into our life that we did not expect. And we have to learn how to deal with those storms, amen. And so this 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 46 number psalm kind of gives us some things that we ought to do when a storm of crisis suddenly rises up in our lives. Look at God's direction in this verse. Very clear. Look at verse 10 one more time with me, okay? Verse number 10 says, What come on? It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Be still and know that I am God. God says, when tough times come, when storms start to rage like they did again this past Friday night, when trouble comes knocking on your door, when Satan begins to attack, you and I must be still and know something. Everybody say, be still and know. Now, again, I told you on last week, our English words, be still, really don't capture the full essence of the Hebrew language in this instance because in the Hebrew, it literally means to let go. It means to put your arms down to your side. It means to cease or to stop from striving. It literally means to relax. Now, how many of you have trouble relaxing when the storm is coming? You know, if God says, be still and know, 
If God says that uh, the, the, the Hebrew uh, connotation of this word, be still, or this phrase, be still, means to relax, to stop striving. Some of y'all have been fighting. You, you're striving. You, you're worrying and you're you're fretting and you got, your blood pressure is high and, you, and, 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 you, and you're nervous. You look nervous. You talk nervous. You act nervous. You, you, you don't have peace. But the Hebrew says, be still, relax, stop striving. It carries the idea of God saying when you face a scary situation, lay down your arms, put down your sword and shield, step aside and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. That's where God is trying to get us to, child of God. Because if God says we can be still and know that he's God, when God says and he tells Jehoshaphat and them, listen, the battle is not yours, but it belongs to God. When he says that, there's a message for us today. And God, God, God told Jehoshaphat in his 20th chapter of Chronicles, when the armies were all surrounding them, basically he says, relax, Jehoshaphat. Lay down your arms, put the army at the end of the procession, and put the choir at the, at the front of the procession. And let that choir start singing my praises and watch me give you the victory in this battle. I told you on last week, that battle strategy, like God did with Joshua at Jericho, didn't seem like it was a very feasible way to go. But I, I, here's what I've learned in my life. If I hadn't learned anything else, here's what I learned. God does not work the way I think he's going to work all the time. They used to say he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. And God, God, our timing, I've, I've discovered in my life, my timing rarely lines up with God's timing. Because you know what? We, we including me, can be a little impatient. We want things right now, right? We want it to come right now. We don't want to wait on God. We want it right now because we feel like it needs to happen right now. But how many of y'all can attest to the fact that there's some things that, that you, when you look back over your life, you can say, boy, I wish, I'm, I'm so glad that, that God didn't allow that prayer to be answered. Huh? Some of y'all looking at some people who you used to go with, you used to date, and you saying, God, I thank you that you didn't answer my prayer. Lord, I thank you that you didn't answer my prayer. See, the lights went out when I said that, didn't it? <laughs> God knows what's best for us. And the sooner we come to that revelatory knowledge, the sooner God can begin to move and operate in our life at a level that we have never seen before and at a level that will allow us to be advanced toward our kingdom destiny. God desires for us to be in that position. So be still and know. So he says, listen, most of the times, again, when terrifying times come, we respond emotionally, I share it with you, and, and we entertain feelings of fear and insecurity and, and panic. We, 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 we will literally panic sometimes. But in, Psalm, in this Psalms here, God challenges you and I to respond, not emotionally, but on the basis of something that we know. We have got to get out of responding emotionally. Let me, let me, uh, let me share something with you. Again, so most of y'all can relate to this. Um, I play a little college football over at Louisiana Tech, and we went back, went over there yesterday uh, to, to observe the spring game. And I was, my mind just kind of went back 30 years ago, however long ago. Well, that was 33 years ago, I believe it was. 
33 years ago, and I saw some of the guys who I played with back in the day. They had a little reunion thing going on. Uh, and I was talking to one of the, 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 the guys, and he was just saying, he said, man, I, I enjoy seeing my brothers here. He said, but some of these guys still uh, 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 acting like they did when they were in college. They were still drinking, cussing, fussing, married three or four times, and, and don't have no stability in their life. He said, but they, they, they're my boys now, but uh, they, they, they hadn't changed a whole lot. And I, I thought about during the playing days how it was sometimes, you know, uh, you know, guys, certain guys will respond emotionally rather than uh, – responding based on what they know that they've been taught and trained to do. Say, for instance, if you get hit late on a play, uh, the, 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 the initial response for most people is, is to hit somebody back if they hit you late after the whistle had blown. But what, what usually happens in a football game? The referee normally sees what? The second hit. And, and, and because you responded emotionally, then you end up costing your team 15 yards. Is that right? Because you just couldn't hold it back. You just had to go out swinging. And that's the way some of us are. God is saying, hold your peace. I'll fight your battle. You said, no, I'll fight myself. <laughs> and God says, be still and know that I'm God. The battle is not yours, but it belongs to God. And, and, and so many times in life, guys, we make decisions we make, we make choices based solely out of our emotions. You remember when we did that long series, it was entitled, Lord, Deal With My Emotions. You ought to go back and check that out because, see, I think a lot of us are too emotional and we make those decisions not based on what we know, not based on word or principle, but we based on how we feel. We based it on how we feel. And if you're, if you're going to ever go with God, you can't, you can't make decisions based on how you feel. Can I get a witness? Because how you feel, I mean, it, it, think about this for a second. When we go back to Jehoshaphat, he told Jehoshaphat to, listen, put the choir out front. Put the choir out front and let them sing. Now, how many of y'all would have went to battle like that? You, how many of y'all in the choir? How many of y'all ever sang in the choir? Y'all ever sang in the choir? Okay. All right. So, again, what if, what if our United States military called up all the choir members of EBC and every church in this country and says, we're going to war. We're going to Syria. We're going to Afghanistan. We're going to Pakistan, wherever we're going, and we're going to put y'all out front and y'all going to sing praises to God. I want to ask the question, how many of y'all would sign up for that duty? <laughs> Danny raised his hand and put it back down. But literally, guys, that's what happens over in Second Chronicles. And we flip back over there, and, and we'll, we'll take a look at that right quick. But in that 46 number sum, while you're going to that 46 number sum, remember I told you on last week, there's some things that we learned, amen, and there's some things that we that, that first verse in that 46 number sum teach us that we can know, that we can know. Three things that we can know about our God that will help us to relax in spite of the outcome of any battle that we may face. First thing I told you was God is our refuge. You need to know that he's our refuge. And remember what refuge that, that, that referred to a cities of refuge, whereby people could run into a city of refuge in order to escape the, 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 the retribution that was coming from the blood avenger. Because any time you killed somebody under old covenant time, in certain in certain period of time, before God came and brought these cities of refuge, uh, if somebody killed somebody, even if it was accidentally, 
that, that system of judgment allowed uh, no deference for accidental killings. It, it allowed no deference for, uh, for self-defense. It's just if you kill somebody, their family member will come and try to kill you. So God, what he did was he had six cities throughout the land that were known as cities of what? Refuge. And so you could run into the cities of refuge and be safe from the blood avenger. Can I get a witness? You could run to those cities of refuge and be safe. And so, uh, so once inside those city gates, the person would be safe from that blood avenger from his wrath, and then he would have time for that person to calm down, and they would have time for a trial and uh, to be to be had where fair justice could be meted out, rather than being killed somewhere in the wilderness. Can I get a witness? And those cities of refuge actually gave us a picture of God's heart because bound up in his nature, bound up in God's character is the desire to provide safety and refuge for his people. God wants to provide safety and refuge for you. So I don't care who you are, if you belong to God, if you made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus, God desires to protect you. Are y'all listening to me? Because we know that we serve, not we serve, we're facing an enemy who's trying to kill us. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have what? Life and have it what? More abundantly. So God is our refuge. He's our protector. Amen. As a matter of fact, before you, before you go to... Uh, to, to Second Chronicles, go to go to Psalms ninety-one and four, right quick. I, I saw this and I want to, I want to kind of just throw this in parenthetically, and we'll move right along. Psalms ninety-one and four. Everybody say, "Be still and know." So, first thing we need to know from Psalms forty-six is that God is our refuge. Psalms ninety-one, verse number four. He's he in times of trouble, he wants us to hide in him. Psalms ninety-one, verse four says what? He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Read that first sentence one more time. It says what? He will cover you with his feathers. And I thought about this, and, and many of y'all, how many of y'all grew up and saw, maybe you didn't raise chicken, but you, you, you knew of some people that in your area that raised chickens. How many of y'all been around chickens before? Anybody, anybody? Okay, all right. So, so now, one of the things that a chicken will do, a mother hen will do is, is whenever, you know, a mother hen can be pecking around in the, in the yard, doing whatever, and may not be, even be bothered by you, but if that mother hen who has little chicklets, I'm going to call them that, little chicklets, if that mother hen senses that there is danger, what she would do is spread her wings and put all those little chicklets up under her wings to cover them, and if you try to get close to them, come on now, she'll come after you. <laughs> I think my daughter Tanya had a little incident with a bird. She said uh, uh, the bird had built a nest above a door, and she was she had hit the nest, and the and the, and the, the mother bird got angry. The mother bird was gonna come after her when she came out of the house because she's trying to protect the nest where her little birds are. And so when I thought about this, I thought about how God will spread his wings and in there's times of danger in our life, he'll cover us. That's the kind of God that I serve. He'll protect us from the danger that the enemy is trying to send our way. She says he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor 
and protection. His faithful promises. What, what, what is your armor and your protection? His faithful promises. Now, but I got to know, because we start off by saying, be still what? And know. He says, be still, know that I am God. So if I don't know that he's God, that means I got to know what his promises are. The problem that many of us face when, we, when we're in the middle of a, a trying situation or in, when we're just doing life in general is that many of us don't know what he promised. Many of us have no idea and clue what God says about us. Or if we do know, we have such, uh, uh, we, we've been bombarded with such negative images and negative mindsets by people in our lives and by others that we, can, we don't really believe that God could be that good. We don't really believe that God will protect us. We don't really believe that he will be our provider. We don't really believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We say it, but we don't believe it. See, belief, true belief, will be backed up by action. Don't tell me you believe something and you're not acting on what you say you believe. But many of us have allowed all these different images and, 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 and stereotypes that have been uh, put down in our minds all these years to, to put us in a position where we don't really trust what God promises are. But the text says his, his faithful promises are your armor and your protection. So God is our refuge. Everybody say he's our refuge. He's also our strength, number, number two, and he is with us at all times. He's our strength. And he is with us. Now, when I share this with you, go to Psalms 27 and 1. I know, I know we're getting back to 2 Chronicles 20. But I want to I put this into, into your mind because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? So if, if I don't consistently hear the promises of God, then I don't have faith to walk it out in my life. That's the problem that many of us are having because the text we read in Psalm 91 and 4 says that his promises are our armor and our protection. But if I don't know what his promises are, if I never have a consistent uh, digestion of those promises into my mind and down in my heart, then I'm not going to be solidly grounded whenever trouble comes. Because if I don't have that word consistently put down in my heart, then I'm, whenever trouble comes, I'm going to go based off of what I feel. And that's what many of us are doing. We're moving out of our emotions. We're moving out of our feelings. We're moving out of our insecurities. We're moving out of our past experiences. And God says, I need you to be still and know who I am. I need you to be still and to know that I am God. I need you to be still and know that I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am your protector. I need you to be still and know that I got this. But many of us don't really know that he has it. Watch the text here. Look at Psalms 27 and verse number one. Are you still with me today? It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my what? He's my fortress doing what? Protecting me from danger. So why? Should I tremble? Why should I tremble? Why, why should I get all upset? Why should I, why should I panic? If his promises are my armor and my protection. The problem is, many of us sitting here don't know what the promises are. And why is it that we don't know what the promises are? Because many, many times we fail 
to get before the Lord to get an understanding about what his word says. Many of us fail to submit ourselves to the discipleship training process. Because after all, Jesus told us to go ahead and make disciples, and a disciple cannot be made coming to church on Sunday only. Can I repeat that? Say, say it again, Pastor. Can I say it again, Sherry? A disciple cannot be made by only attending church on Sunday. I thank God for you. I love you with the love of the Lord. I'll do everything in, in my power to help you in your walk with the Lord. But you cannot be discipled when you only crack the book when I crack it on Sunday. Can I get a witness? Are y'all still with me? Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So, so discipleship requires more. And what do we say we are? We're seeking to become what? Disciple believers who consistently walk in the ways of God, who have kingdom impact in our homes, schools, jobs, and the community at large. We want to do what? Reflect our faith and lead others into a personal relationship with the Savior Jesus Christ that will not happen with you being a Sunday morning only Christian. Okay, I love y'all, but, but if you're going to be a disciple, you got to go a little deeper. Everybody say go deeper. And I, it's my desire for you to, to get to know him so that when the storms of life come, when tragedy arises, when a precarious situation is facing us, we can be still and know that he's God. We can be still and know that his promises are our armor and our protection. Watch it again. The Lord is my, David said, the Lord is my light and my what? Salvation. So why should I be afraid? Read on. Protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Amen. We know that, that, that David, David is, is, is speaking here, and David has some situation that came up in his life, but one thing that David knew, that David knew that God was there to protect him. And we got to get to that point to where we know, amen, that he's our, he's our fortress, he's our strength. We got to know that he's the one who, who's there for us. So he is our strength, and lastly, he is with us. Go to Hebrews 13 and 5. This is something we got to know, because sometimes, you know, whenever we're facing some situations, and it looks kind of helpless, looks like we're not going to make it, we'll forget that God is still with us. Let's start in verse number one. He, start in verse number one, Hebrews 13, verse one. Now watch this. We're going to walk down through this, and then we'll get back and we'll take a look at Jehoshaphat and see what transpired in that instance and at such a magnitude it inspired one of his music ministers to write that 46 number of psalms. The text says this, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Now, the writer of Hebrews, which many people debate who wrote this, it doesn't matter because they, they wrote it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Some thought it was Paul, but then others thought it was other individuals. But again, we're not definite about who wrote it, but we know they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But watch what the text says. He's writing to born-again believers. Scripture is to us who are born again. Watch what it says. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. He's writing to the church. Why in the world do you think he has to tell the church to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters? Because obviously there were some issues that came up that caused them to, if they were not careful, to stop loving each other as brothers and sisters. It happens in churches, guys. It happens where born-again believers get at odds with each other 
and especially when you look at the Corinthian church and others that had these issues going on, uh, where even Paul called some folks out by name, said they were troublemakers, they were starting stuff in the church. Make sure you're not one of those people who start stuff in the church. Be that born-again believer who follows God's will. But let's keep moving. Verse number two, let's read. It says what? Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some have done this, for some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing. What he says is, uh, as a born-again believer, don't forget to be hospitable. We ought to be hospitable, amen, to people, amen. We ought, we ought, we ought, we ought not be known as mean Christians. Hello? We should be known as the people of God who show hospitality because the writer said that in some instances, people have entertained and showed hospitality to folks who they didn't even know, and, and they, they've entertained angels unawares. You know, I believe that, that there are times in our life where just like uh, uh, we saw in Abraham's case where those three, three men showed up, but those three men were angelic beings, and one of them had the semblance of the Son of God. I believe there are times in our lives where God will place an angelic being in our presence, and we not even know about it. That we, we were eating dinner yesterday, and and my wife um, uh, mentioned that that she wanted to bless this young couple that that sit down at the table right across from her. I said, "Well, is there any?" She kept asking me, "How much money you got in your wallet?" <laughs> I said, "Well, I, I, I looks like I got about yeah, about seventy dollars. I had three twenties and two fives. You know, I know how much I had, right? And two ones." How many of y'all like that? You know how much money. I, I knew exactly. So, but I counted it twice. So you don't count that money twice. Give me that, give me that $60. So she, she, pulled out, she pulled my 60, put it with her 20, and Junior had a 20. She, she pulled his 20, and we, and we gave $100 and said we blessed that couple. And that couple said, you know, we had never had anybody do that before. before. So I oftentimes wonder, did we bless an angel unawares? Did, 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 was, that a, was that a case of Holy Spirit just prompting our spirit and, and to, to, to bless them to see if we would really do what he's telling us to do? There are times when I believe that things happen in our life, they are nothing more than a test to see if we're willing to obey the voice of God or not. There's some stuff that's happening that God is just willing. He, he wants to know if you will do it at his urging and, and, and at his behest. And I believe that was the case there. And, and, and they, they were appreciative. The young brother, young Caucasian brother came and gave him a hug. He says, we, we never had anybody do that before, before. See, I believe that God wants to bless us to be a blessing so that we can do things that nobody else does, amen, that we can enlighten somebody's life. I don't know what the economic situation was, but, but they came there and, and they had their meal paid for. And probably had some change. Yeah, they would have had some change left over because that place wouldn't be $100 for two people. But my point is this, I believe that, that obedience helps us, amen, when we are obedient to God's calling and to his move in our life, then God is now showing us that if we can learn to trust his voice, he'll entrust us with more. Can I get a witness? Now watch, watch, again, so, so again, 46 number some, God's our refuge, he's our strength, and he is with us. Watch what the text says, don't forget to show hospitality to the strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Verse number three, let's read. Remember those in prison. 
Okay, watch that. Look what he says. That's why prison ministry is important, Cassandra. You keep doing what you're doing. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Huh? Watch. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. See, here's what we got to understand. Just because it ain't happening to me don't mean I shouldn't be concerned about what's happening to them. Are y'all with me? He says, remember also those being mistreated as if their pain, as if you felt their pains in your own bodies. Now look at the next verse. Watch this. He says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. I got one amen there. Come on. Watch this. He says, give honor to marriage and may remain faithful to one another in marriage. The institution of marriage was created by God, and God said it is an honorable institution. And so what we have to learn to do as Christians is learn how to operate within the institution of marriage the way God designed for us to operate. Because through that, through our Coming together in covenant relationship, the Bible tells us over in Ephesians that, that it is a mystery, but Paul says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul says that through your marriage relationship, you will provide a tangible, physical example to the world of how Christ connects to the church. And so every time somebody look at you and observe in your marriage, they should be able to see how Christ connects to the church. But now some of us, if we're really honest about it, we, we, we've been bad examples. We've been real, we've been terrible, nasty, stinking examples of how Christ connects to the church. Do you realize what it's saying? Go, go, go to Ephesians 5. I, I, I didn't mean to go here, but let's go there right quick because I, I think I just need to throw this in parenthetically because maybe somebody needs to hear this this morning. You, you've been saved, amen, for a purpose. Can I get a witness? You've been saved to be the person that God calls you to be. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Ephesians 5. Look at verse 22. Start there right quick. 22. 5 and 22. I'm, I'm going to move down. Got to move. Can y'all can roll with me real quickly? Can we go real quick? Marriage is honorable and all. The bed under fire, right? The institution of marriage is God's design, it's creation. So we don't, don't down the institution because people in the institution aren't doing what's right. You make sure that you do what's right. You make sure that you be the person that God called you to be and you be the husband or wife that God called you to be. And don't worry about anything else. You, 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 as a matter of fact, you can't change nobody, but, but, but let the Lord change you. Amen? All right, watch what he says. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. Did y'all catch that? Can we read it together? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. That's right. That's right. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, in similar fashion that, 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 that you would submit to the Lord, you submit to your husband. You reverence your husband. I felt a cool breeze in this place. And every brother here ought to be saying amen real loud. And every wife should be saying the same thing because this Bible is true for all of us. I just, I just didn't like what, what, I, what I got. Can we read that? It's in the book. 
Turn your Bible. You, you, you saying, that's on the computer screen. Turn to your Bible. What you got there, Dave? Got right there. Dave, you got, what Dave got here? Dave got, Dave said, it says, whoa, 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 whoa. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, hang on, hang on, Dave. Let me, let me get over here. Glory to God. Yeah, it was there. Wives, submit yourself in your own husband, add them to the Lord. It's in there. Okay. Everybody say it's in there. So now watch it, watch it. For wives, this means submit to your husband, add to the Lord. In similar fashion. Next verse, let's read. Come on, so. For, for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Come on. 24 says what? As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Now, we understand everything means those things that line up with God's will. Not anything. I, I've said this before and I've said it again. Wives, don't you dare go follow your husband if he's outside the will of God. That's asinine to do something, and you know it's not biblical, but you go and do it. Well, that's just my husband, so I got to. No, you don't. It's better to obey God than man. Follow husband as long as he ain't, ain't tripping. That's an old school term. But when I say tripping, I mean he's doing something that's unbiblical and outside the revealed word of God. You're under no obligation to obey somebody and follow them when they tell you to do something that's not in line with God's will. Is that fair enough? Okay. Watch the next verse. Let's read. For husband, this means. Now back up to the 24th verse. I think I missed something. 24th. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands and everything. In similar fashion. Maybe because we don't want to say how the church is supposed to submit to Christ. Maybe that's why we're having trouble with wives submitting to their husbands. Okay? 25. Read. For husbands, this means what? Love your wives just as. Watch this. He gave up his life for her. I say this every time I read this, guys, and, and y'all listen to me very, very carefully. This is an awesome responsibility. He, he tells us as husbands, guys, uh, uh, listen, listen, this is an awesome responsibility. It it's, it's, it's also can be real scary because he says, and he holds us, he's holding us responsible, Gary, uh, Katie, uh, uh, Leroy, uh, uh, Jerry. He's holding us responsible, amen, Danny, for, for how we love our wives. He says, for husband, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Look at the next verse. Come on. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Next verse. Come on, let's go. Got to move. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Man. Come on, let's move. Verse 28. In the same way, in similar fashion, in the same way that Christ loved the church, in the same way that Christ gave himself for the church, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loved the church and to love them as their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Maybe you don't know how to love your wife because you don't truly know how to love yourself. Maybe you've been fed some stuff into your ear gate and it's got down in your spirit that has you not really loving your own self. Watch this. 
for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Next verse, come on, let's read, come on. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. None of y'all in here uh, are, 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 are beating yourself upside the head, are you? So you shouldn't be hitting on nobody else. Come on, let's read. And we are members of his body. Come on, 31, let's read. Here's what I want to get to. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Next verse, come on, let's go. This is a great mystery. This whole discourse scripture that we started in verse 22, he was talking about the husband-wife relationship, but notice what he says. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The husband-wife relationship should be an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Now, I want to ask you this question, and you, you don't have to answer this. You don't have to amen me, but I want you to think about it on your way home. Do me and my wife exhibit the relationship of oneness that Christ has with his church? Are we truly in that position to where if somebody looked at us and they said, they just like two peas in a pod. They, 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 they're like they're joined at the hip. It's, it's, it's when you see one, you see the other. Can they really say that? Or do they see this? This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Verse, last, last verse. It says what? So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must do what? Read it again. It says what? Each, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right, so that, that was, that was, that was a, a little nugget that you didn't have to pay for, um, but it's, it's, it's an area of focus that we all, we all, everybody say we all, that are in covenant relationship have to focus in on, okay? But now watch this. I want you to go back to Second Chronicles, right? Go to Second Chronicles. So we said God is our refuge, he's our strength, and he is with us. So I, I, now, before you go to, uh, go back to Hebrews 13. I'm sorry. I didn't finish that. Hebrews 13, verse number 5. Hebrews 13, verse number 5. Let's go over Hurry. All right. What, Hebrews 13 and 5. Y'all, are y'all there? Come on, let's read it together. Do, do verse 4, then verse 5. Come on, verse 4, then verse 5. Verse 4 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Now, verse 5 says what? Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never. Read it one more time. Okay. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You got to know that he will never, he will never fail you. He's with us always. Let's read verse six and seven for good measure. Come on, let's read. This is what. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. Now, if I know God is my helper, if I know he's going to come through for me, then I don't have to operate in fear. I told you guys this before, the devil utilizes fear 
to move us off of faith because faith and fear cannot coexist in the same heart. So what he does is he brings these storms, he brings these sudden situations up to get us to operate in fear out of our emotions, out of our feelings, so we can get our eyes off of the promise. Because the text that we read in Psalm says, his promises are our armor and our protection. But if my eyes are not on his promises, then I'm not standing in faith and if I'm not standing in faith, fear has the chance to just run me ragged. Fear, fear. So what the enemy is after, guys, with these storms, with these situations in your life, is he's trying to get your eyes off of the promise. He don't want you to focus on the word. Because he knows faith comes by hearing by the word of God. So if he can get your eyes off the word and get it on the storm, Peter, in the boat, got out the boat, Based on the word, the word said come. The word gave a word. Jesus is the word. He said come. Peter stepped out on the word. And as long as he stayed focused on the word, looking at the word of Jesus, he continued to walk on the water. But when he took his eyes off the word, what happened? He began to sink. And that's what happens in our lives, guys. When we are moving along, we, we, we're kind of doing life and our day-to-day routine, if we're not careful, we'll get our eyes off of the word and just start doing life without bringing God into our world. And once we get our eyes off of the word, then the enemy comes with all these storms. He brings a storm to get our eyes off the word so that he can trip us up and have us operating out of fear. But the text says, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Verse 7, let's read it. Come on, it says what? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example and follow the example of their faith. So remember your leaders who have taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Now go over to 2 Chronicles right quick, okay? All right, so he's our refuge. He's our strength, and he is with us at all times. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God and follow their example. So we see Jehoshaphat here in 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Look with him again. So, so to bring this thing into, into, into focus here, remember Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom, right? There was two two tribes that made up the southern kingdom, and Israel was the northern kingdom. Am I right about that, Bible scholars? Uh, the northern kingdom was made up of 10 tribes. Because you remember, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had 12 sons, and those 12 sons, amen, uh, their descendants were the 12 tribes of Israel. Am I right? All right? And so uh, so there was a split between, you know how family members split up sometimes? Y'all know how families don't get along sometimes? So there was a split. Northern kingdom, 10. Southern kingdom, 2. Southern kingdom was named Judah. Northern kingdom was named Israel. All right? So Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Is that right? All right. So now, having been king, he, he now, he done some good things. But now, look at what happens here uh, in verse number 3. Go to verse 3 of 2 Chronicles, the third chapter. The Bible says Jehoshaphat was terrified by, the, by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. 
he was terrified by the news of being surrounded by the enemy and they're getting ready to attack. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin what? Fasting. Now watch this. I want, I want y'all to... I want y'all to capture this right quick, okay? He, he ordered everybody in Judah to begin what? Fasting. Look at verse number four with me. Come on, let's go. It says what? So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to do what? To seek the Lord's help. KJV says they came to seek the Lord. And verse number five says what? It says what? Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. Verse 6, he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? What is he doing? He's putting God in remembrance of his word. God said, I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Now they're in the land, the inhabitants are attacking. But God is a faithful God. He is true to his word. Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. Look at the next verse. Let's read. It says what? They said... Whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can, we, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Now, let me ask you a question, a very important, very important question. Do you really believe that when you face with calamity, when you face with a storm, when you face with an attack of the enemy, that God is there to rescue you? Do you really believe that? Do you have that down into your core? Is it a part of you that you know that I don't have to fear or be afraid? My God is with me. Now, if I know that, then that means that if I, if, if I know that I can do like Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that God is there to guide us through and to help us become the person he, he ordained for us to become and to help us experience victory in the midst of this trial. Now, one thing I want to I just kind of share with you right quick. Jehoshaphat, if you think about this for a second, apparently he had the respect of the people because when he called a fast, the people obliged, they obeyed, and they started fasting based on Jehoshaphat's word. I was reading... Uh, uh, a little excerpt about leadership and how leadership works because sometimes we may think we're leading, but we're not really leading. Jehoshaphat showed that he had the people's respect here because uh, John Maxwell mentioned something and I, and I shared this uh, uh, with, with a brother I was talking to and he was talking about uh, there were five positions of leadership and I'll just kind of make a mental note of this right here. I thought it was very interesting the way he broke this down. Because he talks about level one leadership. That's, that's called, level one leadership is called positional leadership. Position. Level one leadership is positional leadership. In other words, people follow you because they have to. How many of y'all work on a job and you have a manager or uh, a department head and you follow them because you have to? I know you're not going to raise your hand right now. But some of y'all are doing what you do at work simply because you have to. You follow that person because of their position. You really don't even, you kind of halfway don't even respect them, but you just do it because you have to. Are y'all still with me? 
See, positional leadership is, 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 is really the, the lowest level of leadership. It's, it's entry level. The only influence a positional leader has is that which comes from the job title. They're the supervisor, and you're only doing it because they're your supervisor. That's called positional leadership. Everybody say positional. Nothing is wrong with, with having a leadership position, but everything is wrong with, with, with using that position to get people to follow you. They're only doing it because you, they do it because you're the leader and you just said so and you do it because I said so. I'm the supervisor. The second positional uh, of leadership is, is what we call permission level. Permission level. level. And, that, and that, that, that has to do with people following you because they want to. They want to. Everybody say permission level. And that level of leadership is level two. Is He says it's, it's based entirely on relationships. Okay? When you're at this level two or permission level, people follow you because they want to. When you like people and treat them as individuals who have value, you begin to develop influence with them. You develop trust with them, and the environment becomes more positive whether at home, on the job, or, or, or on the playground, or while volunteering, people follow you because of the relationship. Are y'all listening to me today? And, 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 and again, he said that he says people uh, uh, will build solid, lasting relationships, and people will follow you because of the relationship you guys have developed. The third level of, of, of leadership is called production. Everybody say production. And at that level of leadership, people follow you because of what you have done for the church, what you've done for the organization, what you've done for the company. They see what you've done, and they follow you because of what you've done. How many of y'all, let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, and, and of course, you know, in, in America, we're, we're sort of enamored with athletics. Uh, and a lot of times in athletics, we'll follow a person, we'll go hear a person speak because of what they've accomplished and done on the athletic field, right? We don't, we don't even know, you know, really what kind of person they are, but we'll go, we'll go to that banquet because this named person is there, right? And we're going simply because of what they've accomplished. They have leadership that's, that comes from their production on the field. When off the field, they may not be a very nice person, but people follow them because of what they've done, okay? Production. The, third, the fourth level of leadership is called uh, people development. He says it's people development. People follow you because of what you've done for them. People will follow you because of what you've done for them. Now, I'm, I'm saying this because if you notice, Jehoshaphat spoke a word. And I gotta, I'm stopping after this. After I give you the fifth one. Jehoshaphat spoke a word and the people moved. He had influence. And it was not just because he was the king in that position that had something to do with it. But I think they, they followed him and they watched what he had done and they watched how he had changed, amen, and tore down those groves that had the idol worship going on. And he, 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 he put into place, amen, things that will worship and follow the true and living God. But at that fourth level, people follow you because of what you've done for them. And lastly, level five, and we'll, we'll talk about these on next week, is what we call the pinnacle level. Level five is the pinnacle level. That, that means people follow you because of who you are and what you represent. People follow you because of who you are and what you represent. When you get to a point where people are following you because of who you are and what you represent, 
then that's, that's, that's one of the highest, that is the highest level of leadership. It's not because of just your position, but because of who you are and what you represent. And what I'm telling you today is, as a born-again believer, we ought, to, we ought to live in such a way on our jobs, at, at school, in our homes, where, where people follow us because of who we are and what we represent, not just because of our position. A, a wife shouldn't, shouldn't submit to her just because he's in that position. It ought to be because of who he is and what he represents. Amen. Uh, a, a husband should love her, his wife not because she's just his wife, but because of who she is and what she represents. And Jehoshaphat declared a fast, and we're going to see on next week how the people of God came together, and through following their leader, they went with that crazy battle strategy. Put the choir in front. Everybody say, put the choir in front. And as a result, they experienced victory. We'll, we'll unpack it on next week. Get a Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.